Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Catherine Ulrich, author of Getting to the Top. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven Team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Catherine Ulrich, author of Getting to the Top. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Catherine Ulrich shares with us her insights, approaches, and real-world examples that everyone in the corporate world can use, regardless of their current position, to shape their approach to career development and accelerate their advancement. So now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Kathy Ulrich, author of Getting to the Top, Strategies for Career Success. Kathy heads a Silicon Valley executive search firm and alumni career services for UCLA's Anderson School of Management. She also leads the Getting to the Top career development programs at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and UCLA Anderson School of Management. Through these career programs, over 1,500 attendees have learned the career paths and skills to be successful in different functional areas, including marketing, product management, public relations and corporate communications, strategic alliances and channels, sales, business development, consulting, private equity, corporate operations, and general and executive management. Kathy, welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Thank you for having me here today. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I loved your book, Getting to the Top. I really found it interesting, the fact that you were able to compile so many actual executive biographies and then highlight the various aspects of these individuals that made them so very well suited and, of course, ultimately very successful in the executive positions that they ascended to. So it, w- it was just fascinating from start to finish. Well, thank you. It's, it's probably the reason why I wrote the book. I was doing these programs at Stanford and UCLA, and after even doing a dozen of them, you'd think I'd be jaded, and, but I'd still walk out of the program saying, this is the best program ever. That advice was incredible. I'm going to start doing this. And so Mm -hmm. I was still learning even after a dozen or 20 of these programs. And so then I started saying, I have to capture this. I have to share this advice with other people. 
And so it came from this advice of real-world CEOs and VPs of marketing and sales and, and all the different functional areas, and I just needed to capture that. So that's what I put into the book. Yeah, and it was wonderful. Yeah, I sit back and, and look at folks so often from a distance and thinking, you know, wow, I, I want to aspire to achieve those things that this individual did, if only I knew how. And and right. you really lay that out so so well and so clearly as to this was kind of the progression of this executive and how they developed themselves over time. Just absolutely fascinating and an insight that I, I've not found anywhere else before. Well, you know, we all have careers. I call it career by happenstance. You know, there's an opening, there's a friend at that company. But mm-hmm. do we actually think about a strategic plan for our careers? You know, do we do we think about where we want to go and then start heading toward that direction and mapping it out so the happenstance kind of fits within our plan of where we want to go to? Sure, sure. And now, Kathy, there, there was something I noted throughout your book, and that was that there were also a lot of examples where individuals, I would say, overestimated their either ability or their readiness to assume the position at the next level from where they were at. What should an individual do to avoid this discontinuity, to be able to identify not only the skills and knowledges and experiences that they have, but also the ones that are needed at the next level so that they can better identify any gaps that exist. I think we all aspire to be in that position where somebody's promoted us because of our capability and gives us the challenge to learn. So so let's just assume that we're in that role because we were promoted because of our capabilities mm-hmm. and they're putting us in that role and then we need to learn. And so that becomes the challenge. What do I need to be doing for this role? And now if you're being promoted and you don't have the skills, a lot of people pointed out, we had one executive, um, she was the former chief marketing officer of Xerox. She said, and you know, it, you need to get real and really identify what's your Achilles heel, what are your weaknesses, and being able to fill in from those, either learning them or hiring a team that fills in for those weaknesses. So a couple of the things that you can do, you know, the easiest is just ask people. Ask sure. your mentors, your peers, ask people that work on your team, ask your boss, what is it that I need to be working on? What are the skills that are needed? Um, do I have a blind side that I'm not even aware of? What do people think of me? You know, um, a more formal way of doing it is to do a 360-degree assessment. But the key is to do an honest assessment of what are your strengths and what's required in the job and what do you need to work on developing. Maybe it's experiences, maybe it's skills, maybe it's some of the softer skills. But really do that honest assessment. I particularly like the fact that you mentioned peers, because so often I think people either discount peers or they just go unthought of. And I find in in my personal experience that it's my peers that actually have a closer day-to-day look at what I'm doing. And just peer, what I call peer mentorship is truly invaluable in understanding where my gaps are. Right. Well, and if you can set up that trusted relationship where 
it's okay to bring it up mm-hmm. where you've got an environment that's safe to be able to bring it up. And if it works best with a peer, that's great. Certainly. And now, Kathy, I would think with this knowledge now of our gaps, our, our developmental needs, let's call them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that a person would be very well positioned then to identify those experiences that they need to have in order to make themselves ready or complete to either truly perform well in their current role or then to be ready to move on to the next role. In getting to the top, you present four different career paths. Would you tell us a little bit about each and the developmental benefit each has to an individual? Sure, sure. Let me kind of let me give you an example first of somebody filling in the gap because I think it'll mm-hmm. give you a readiness for that, and then okay. I can go through the the four different career paths. One example was an executive very high up in a Fortune 100 company, and he did a 360 assessment, or probably HR said a 360 assessment is going to be done for you, and um, in the course of that, he learned that he wasn't good at listening. And how it came off is he had already formed an answer in his mind. And so rather than listen to people that were coming in, he'd kind of discounted and not listen. And it was starting to be picked up as people said he didn't respect me and my what I was bringing to him. Okay. And so it started becoming this kind of disrespect for that other individual because he'd already made up his own mind. And um, he took it on himself that he needed to become a better listener and not come in with ideas already made up and here's, here's what we're going to be doing, but let's take the, um, the suggestions of this great team of people. He's now CEO of a Fortune 100 company, and one of his fortes is listening to his team, and he's just well-regarded for that. So it's somebody that took that assessment and then started working on becoming a better listener. Um, sure. and, and so that's a way of kind of filling in those gaps that, that then make you more effective as a leader. Now, in, as you're going through your career path, and whether it's this example or, or any, anybody's career path, there are mm-hmm. different options for you as you go through your career. One is you can get a promotion you know, from manager to director, VP, et cetera. You can take a new function. So you can move from marketing to sales to operations to finance, et cetera. You can also make a change into a new company. So this is what a lot of people do, especially here. I'm based in Silicon Valley where I'm manager here in this company. Well, there's not any room for me to grow, so I'm going to change companies. And then okay. last, and the last example is, um, and, and career path, the fourth is changing to a new industry. And I break this out separate because it could be a new company as well as a new industry. Like right now, we have a lot of people that want to move into energy. Well, you can get into energy by moving to a new company, or you might be within your own company and moving to a division that focuses on the energy sector. So you Mm -hmm. can do that whether it's new company or new industry, you know, separate or together. Now, when you're changing, making these decisions, in your career path, you know, a lot of people are only aiming straight up. I want to move from manager to director. But sometimes 
a better move is to take a lateral move. And I'm always advocating moving into sales because I think for a lot of careers, understanding why customers are buying, it affects everybody's bottom line, and that can only benefit your career. Yes. So early in your career, take that sideways move into sales. Later on, if you're in marketing, that's going to help you. And Or if you want to be CEO, that move to sales is going to help you. So anytime you're in kind of transition, whether it's job search or within your own company, you can make these different transitions, promotion, new function, new company, new industry. If you're changing just one, it's a lot easier than if you're changing two at a time. You know, moving to a new company, sure. I want to change functions, and I want to move from manager to director. You know, the, lo- the more transitions you're doing at once, the longer it's going to take. Now, Kathy, thinking about length or duration, do you see any period of time as being necessary for a person to be in a position to realistically satisfy those developmental needs that they had that moved them into that position? You know, this is an it depends kind of an answer. Okay. Sometimes you only need a check mark that says, I did it. Other times you need to be in it long enough so that you develop the skill sets. And I'm going to use an example from my own career. I was in strategy consulting for five years. And five years gets you from the consultant into managing projects. And so I was managing projects, client projects, getting into business development. Well, for me, there was a lot of, um, I will say, internal development. I grew a lot during that period. And yet when I made the transition into industry, a lot of companies discounted it and just said, check mark, she came from strategy consulting. And I could have gotten that same check mark with only one year of consulting, though I wouldn't have developed some of the skills of you know, managing people, managing projects, um, strategy development, you know, dealing with difficult client situations. So I had a lot of personal development, though if all I was looking for was a check mark, I could have stayed for one year instead of five. Certainly. And and I can even relate that in my experience in the nuclear industry. There are certain uh, what people often refer to as golden tickets. And once you have the golden ticket, it's really not necessarily a matter of how long you're in that position. I consider there are a couple different, um, uh, I call them catch-22s in your career. Mm-hmm. Have you ever managed people? Have you ever managed a P&L? And, and I call them catch-22s because if you're looking for a job that's requiring you to manage people, the question will be, have you ever managed a team? And it's sure. a yes or a no answer. Mm-hmm. And so if you've never done it, you have to work on your skill development I've not managed an employee, the hiring, firing, development. However, I managed a project team where I was responsible for. That's a half a check mark that you can answer yes with that half a check mark that gets you closer to have you managed employees, yes or no. You know, the same thing's true of managing Mm P&L. I managed a budget. I set budgets and prioritized what we were working on. I had revenue responsibility. You know, it's getting those things, even if it's just on a project basis, that helps get you into a role that you've got something on a full-time basis. With that concept in mind, if there are not positions within the organization you're at today that 
would provide you some of those key and critical skills and experiences, what might an individual consider doing in order to gain that kind of, of experience and background? So I start with considering, you know, uh, you know um, the company you're in. So let's mm-hmm. say, let's stay in that company, and you want to develop that management skill or P and L. Go do it outside of work. So take on a volunteer assignment where you're managing a team of people. I actually ran a started and ran a nonprofit here in Silicon Valley, where there was a woman who wanted to manage a team. So she took on the hairy project of managing our our auction team. And it was her first job managing people, but she could go into interviewing situations saying, I've managed a team for this auction. Um, so you can do it through nonprofit experience. Mm-hmm. You can also do it, you know, maybe it's not in your job within the organization, but are there any special projects that you can volunteer for? Are there some after-work after activities that your company does that you can get involved with? So the first thing is you know, start within your organization and explore other options to develop those skills. You know, it might be training and development, working with career coaches, working with mentors. So that's the first avenue. Mm-hmm. If that's not going to get you there and you still need that, can you find another organization? You know, going back, it's the new company. Sure. So can you find a new company that offers more of those developmental opportunities? Now, Kathy, in getting to the top, you presented several, I'll call them major skills, that were common among those individuals who make it to the top positions within our corporate structures. Would you tell our audience a little bit about each of these major skill sets? Yes, I I have a career pyramid of leadership skills. If you come from strategy consulting, you have to develop your own model. So Mm -hmm. I I summarized all of the skills presented by these executives in the Getting to the Top programs and boiled them down into five areas. Now, some are typical MBAS skills you'd expect in any leadership book, but others are based on what the leaders said. Um, and so the first one starts with strategic vision, you know, setting a vision and aligning your team. The second category is customer perspective. Um, a lot of the people interviewed came from, you know, marketing sales kind of backgrounds. And so what I was seeing was everybody talked about who is your customer, your external customer, as well as your internal customer, and what value are you providing to that person. And I think anybody needs to keep remembering who is your customer, what's the value you're doing in this job, why are you doing it, and how is it affecting the bottom line of the company. So it's having that customer perspective and bringing that into your job. Mm -hmm. The third category is communication skills. This is by far the most important category of skills and grows exponentially as you get higher in your career, that you've got to understand skills like just the basics of how is what I am conveying um, um, understood by others? You know, what's the impact Mm -hmm. on others to things like listening, influence, persuasion, becoming, you know, a a trusted advisor. And all of these, I'll call them communication skills, you know, kind of nuancing communication skills, you know, know, beyond just, you know, coming up, what's the distilling the thought and communicating it. So if you haven't had a communications class in the past, 
go take one to understand how you're delivering your message and the impact that message is having on different audiences with their different communication styles. The fourth, the fourth category is team leadership. Starts with hiring a good team, then the delegating, empowering, um, all the way through to firing people who aren't appropriate. And then the last category of skill is distinguishing skills. And because I took this unique perspective of bi-functional area, so marketing, sales, CFO, mm-hmm. etc., what I was seeing is that even though as you move up in your career, you move from managing to do, from doing to managing to leading, you know, and, and as you do that, you end up delegating the details to other people and you're now rewarded for the leading. Even though the skills start becoming more of the leadership skills, there is still some that you have to do with mastery according to what functional area you're in. Sure. So, for example, if you're in business development, it's absolutely important that you get good at negotiating. So the example somebody brought up in the book, a VP of Biz Dev, is he's now negotiating billion-dollar deals. That's with a B. And if you don't start by negotiating $100,000 deals, you can make a lot of mistakes in negotiating a billion-dollar deal if you're not good at negotiating. So what are the distinguishing skills for your function that you need to develop the mastery in in addition to those leadership skills? Kathy, would any one of those be a showstopper for an individual to make it to the top if they were irreparably deficient in in a given area? They, They just weren't gifted enough, I guess is what I'm saying. I will say anybody could be a CEO. You can go out and print a business card tomorrow that says, I'm a CEO. And so you're CEO, but are you a good CEO becomes the question. <laughs> sure. And, um, and I think the one that would be most important, well, they're all important because you know, if, you, if you can't lead a team, if you can't set a vision and align the team around it, how effective will you be? I think the most important ones as you grow in your career, as I already pointed out, are the communication skills. So absolutely okay. understand how effective a communicator you are. Okay. Well, and I was going to ask the likewise question about functional area, but maybe I should know, when, when I was looking at the biographies and studying them in your book, I mm-hmm. did notice it seemed to me like an awful large percentage, and, and I didn't sit down with a spreadsheet and work it out, but a, a very large percentage had marketing and sales in their background to understand the customer, which makes right, it right. make good sense to me. Is there any given functional area like marketing and sales that would prevent them from being a good CEO? I believe that every CEO needs to understand how to sell. And so okay. often they are coming up through a functional area. You know, mm-hmm. Here in Silicon Valley, we get a lot of engineering founders. Um, And you do find a lot of marketing people, which is a general business category, become CEOs of companies. But I think that what's important as a CEO is you need to sell. You need to sell to Wall Street and your investors. You need to sell to your customers. In fact, if you're an entrepreneurial company, the CEO is the number one salesperson in Mm -hmm. that company. Um, and then you also need to be able to sell your messages, your ideas, you know, getting to the communication skills. So I think of about the CEO, 
you know, understand how to sell. And if you don't come from a sales background, make sure you hire a really good VP of sales and know enough so that you know if they're, they're you know, pulling one over on you because a VP of sales is good at selling their messages. Sure. And, and I always say is, as the leader, part of my responsibility is knowing what questions to ask. So if I'm not good at sales, I need to be good at asking sales questions of those that are good at doing the sales part. Right. Well, and the the person who's good at doing sales, they're also good at answering questions. So you have to understand, are they selling you? Okay. Or, or, and that's why I say you have to understand sales to understand, are you just getting the standard response you know, that, that's a sales message, or are you getting messages that you can act on and, and you're getting the truth in the business? So you have to understand enough about sales so you can call BS. Absolutely. And if you can't do that, then you can't hold those folks accountable. Exactly. Now, Kathy, I agreed 100% with a premise that you had in getting to the top that it's really the individual that is responsible for his or her own development. I also believe that an organization's leaders have a responsibility to develop top talent as a mechanism to ensure the ongoing perpetuation of success in in the company. What actions should leaders take or maybe roles should they fulfill in order to help develop their employees? Yeah, I have to absolutely agree with you, Nathan, on this one, that that organizations do have a role in development of their employees. I wrote this so that um, the individuals who aren't getting that can figure out how to do it. But yes. within an organization, as a leader, part of your job is developing your team and, and making the team around you as strong or stronger than you are. It starts with hiring an A team and then developing them so that they could take over your job. And that makes everyone in the organization look good. Um, and part of the reason and, and the impetus for writing this, as I saw here in Silicon Valley, is a lot of the smaller entrepreneurial companies aren't spending the money in, in um, leadership development that the large organizations do. So sure. the only good the only development that they are getting is if they happen to have a good leader that says, hey, it would be real helpful if you went out and took a sales course or a communications course or a program management course. And so finding an organization and a leader that will support that, and when you do get into a leadership role, as you're developing yourself, how do you develop your team? You know, what are the things that you can do individually with your team? I think it's real important. Absolutely. I I like to tell the managers that have worked for me in the past that part of their being ready for promotion is that they have developed the person who will replace them. And so they have a successor that is ready to take over when they, they move out of their current role. Exactly. Well, Kathy, before we close... You have a website that I'd like to introduce our audience to, and it's www.gettingtothetop.com that has an abundance of additional resources and insights to achieving career success. Would you mind telling our audience a little bit about your website and the various resources that they can find there? 
on gettingtothetop.com, you'll find a lot of content to help you with your career. Um, I'm all about giving content that will help you. So you'll find a little bit on career strategy, on some of the career paths, and then also the leadership skills. You'll soon find some videos also on those leadership skills. We recorded many of the Getting to the Top programs at Stanford and UCLA. And so I talk about the different leadership skills that you need and then include the examples that the executives themselves used. Those will soon be on gettingtothetop.com, but you'll be able to find them on YouTube right now by, I think you'll have to put in search terms of getting to the top or Catherine Ulrich, and you'll find some of those. But those will be out on the website also to help you. Uh, and then lastly, there's a lot of information on executive recruiters and using recruiters. Kathy, that is great. I'm going to put a link in the article associated with the podcast so that our listeners can just with one click go right to your website and then they can get access to all that great material. That sounds great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And Kathy, I want to thank you not only for your time but for sharing just the wonderful insights on achieving career success. As I mentioned earlier, I loved your book and I really appreciated all of those biographical sketches that you provided on the many executives that have been successful not only in achieving their leadership positions, but then at being successful once they've ascended to those executive positions. I hope that our listeners are going to pick up a copy of Getting to the Top, but more importantly, I hope that they'll take the insights that you've provided and that they'll apply them to their own careers so that they can better shape and develop themselves and position themselves better for advancement and career success. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Catherine Ulrich for being with us today and sharing her insights on professional development and climbing the corporate ladder. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Katherine Ulrich and Getting to the Top at www.gettingtothetop.com. Until next time, so long.